if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn with me to John chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at the uh, a fourth sign, uh, sorry, the second sign of John. Um, but while I do that, if you're new to Willow Park Church and you want to get plugged in really quickly, um, then on Tuesday morning at uh, 10 a.m., uh, Pastor Jordan will be leading a Bible study about the sermon that I'm preaching right now. So you can uh, come to that. You can get plugged in. You can, uh, it's in the fireside room and it's um, instantly Sunday. Oh, I like this church, but I don't know anybody. Tuesday, you can meet somebody. And, um, and you can get connected in, which will be absolutely wonderful. And if you're online, please feel free to come and join that as well and get plugged in uh, instantly. I just uh, returned uh, from uh, a weekend at Pines with uh, the youth department. And there I was speaking to our young, uh, young people at Arctic. And it was amazing. It was amazing because it was beautiful to see uh, 15 young people give their lives to Christ and rededicate their lives to Jesus, which was great. I have to say, though, that, that just, um, just being there, and I think I spoke three times, and just being with that group of young people, they are incredible. Their heart the way that they are worshipping, the way that they are connecting into the Lord, the way that they are, um, are just uh, open to God. When I left uh, late on Saturday evening to drive back uh, from Grand Forks, the wonderful Grand Forks, um, they were still in groups and they were still worshipping, they were still praying with each other. And so that, that you know, that is just... A sight to behold and something so, so remarkable within our own lives and, and to see that. And I want to step into that. I am going to be talking about a little bit, make some comments on what is happening at Asbury and uh, what is taking place there as I've um, followed that and, and walked. But it will fit, I think, nicely into this message. So I'll share some thoughts with you. This morning, but I really sign uh, number two. Last time I spoke, and I spoke about sign number one, which was turning water into wine. And it reminds us that what Jesus does, He takes our our simple life, our world, our water, and turns it into something amazing and something rich. It reminds us that one day we're going to be at a glorious wedding banquet, not of Canaan, of Galilee, but we're going to be in a wedding banquet that is going to take place in the glories of eternity when we'll be there together and we will be there celebrating the bride of Christ coming to meet the Saviour of the world. You and I are going to be there. And I look forward to it and I'll have a bit longer to chat to you there than sometimes I do. And we'll be praising the Lord together. We'll be honouring. It's also it's the story of the wedding and the water into wine reminds us that actually that what Jesus loves to do, he loves to come and bring abundant life into our lives. And that abundance is there. It's not abundance in the way that often we can think it's all to do with finances and material things. The closer you get to Jesus Christ, you realise how those things mean less and less. 
But what you discover is abundant life is that intimate relationship you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, of course, we realize from that situation is that Jesus took away all of the shame. There was immense shame for this family if there was no wine at the end. But that's what Jesus Christ does. He takes our terrible circumstances where we feel like we are in shame and he replaces our shame with grace, with love and with forgiveness in our lives. And all of us have experienced that when our shame has been taken away and we've discovered, we've discovered the beauty of God's forgiveness in our life. Once more, he visited Canaan in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine and took away the shame, had brought the abundance, had spoken about the very nature of the future of, of where we are heading towards that great banquet and, of course, showed us that, that our religion is replaced with relationship with God. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. Interesting words, royal official, in the Greek. The word actually uh, denotes a nobleman or a... Or a a petty king or a small king. Like somebody, it's interesting, it's um, baz, bazkos, which is the word to describe a, a lesser member of a royal house who has authority and sort of pretends to be like a little king going around the place. The one thing we know is that this individual, this royal official, he would have been in, in the house of Herod, not Herod the Great, of course, but Herod's son, who ruled that region and, of course, worked for the Romans. So he was incredibly wealthy. He was incredibly influential. And he was like the little group of, of powerful individuals that can often be round a dictator and round an oligarch in this situation. And this royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. This is the worst situation, of course, many of us could find ourselves in. When we find that a child is sick, we find that there is a problem in the home. It's in those days that we experience the grayness. It's in those moments the darkness descends when a little child is sick or ill or dying. And you can only imagine, I can only imagine what this a royal official, this nobleman, this man of wealth, this man of influence, this man of social position, this man connected to Herod himself would have been going through at this very moment. It was a darkness. There was a pain. There was something happening. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Notice that the moment that he heard that Jesus had arrived, he wanted to get to this Jesus and he had heard all about what Jesus Christ had done. Because he realized that his only hope was Jesus. He realized that the only answer here, he heard, he, he, he had heard about what had taken place in Canaan and Galilee. 
He heard about this man who created a, a wonderful sign that turned water into wine that was doing miracles and wonders and was going all around. And he so desperately wanted to go and, and see him. Of course, he's dark. His life is dreadful. His son is dying. And he wants to get, and he realizes that for all his royal status, for all being a little king in his own little world, of being wealthy and rich, when, when the darkest time comes, there's only one place to run to, there's only one place to go, and that is to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. And often we need to just remind ourselves that, don't we? And often people come back to Christ, back to God when the, the dark storm clouds roll in and when problems start to happen and difficulty takes place. See, you can have the best house in the world and the most beautiful house, but if that house isn't a home, then what's the point? You see, you can have the biggest, the most gorgeous bed in the world, yeah? But if you can't get a good night's sleep, then well done, you got a good bed. I love my bed. I'll be honest, I was thinking about this. I once bought a water bed. Do you remember water beds in the 80s? I was traveling across Canada and I stayed in a few homes probably in exotic places like Swift Current, Saskatchewan, and, and, and Melbourne, and places like this, and Yorkton. And on and, and one or two occasions, I ended up in a, in a, with a bed that was a water bed. I was like, whoa, look at that. That's amazing. And I had the brightest idea to buy a water bed and ship it back to Britain. So I bought a bladder and I bought an electric heater that used to slide under them. I thought, this would be great. I am, oh, oh. So I, I put it in my suitcase in the days when you could. And um, <laughs> take a suitcase. And, and I, I took it back to him to my little mum's little flat with, with, with Mrs. Jones lived down below, and I started to set it up, and she goes, what are you doing? And I'm filling this great big bladder, and then I realized, no, if this bursts, I'm going to drown Mrs. Jones. <laughs> or baptize her. But, you know, what good is it if you've got a house that's not a home? A bed where you can't get any sleep. What good is it if you've got, you're wealthy and you're rich like this man and you've got a com companions and assistants and helpers and people to be with you and yet you haven't got a real friend in your life. Great kings and noblemen built massive churches all over Europe because they thought by building a church that's the way to get to know God, to find your way into heaven. You see, what this shows us is that when we face the darkest times, nothing that we possess really matters. What possesses is our connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we go and we follow and we seek and we go. And he realized this, so he would have jumped on his horse. And when this man heard this, Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea. He went to him and he begged him to come and to heal his son. He was so 
close to death. The word begged is plural, repeatedly. I mean, literally, he's on the floor, grabbing Jesus' feet, begging him, begging him to come to Capernaum and to heal his son. Come, come, come. There's a desperation. There's a desire. I want to know Jesus. Jesus, do the sign. Do the miracle. Do it right now. There's a point to John's gospel in this story. The point is this. Do we want the sign? Do we want Jesus to do something? Or do we want Jesus? Do we want the miracle? Or do we want who Jesus truly is? See, that is the whole point of what John is trying to construct throughout his gospel with the seven signs. He is aiming to point the fact to who Jesus is, the Logos. He is the word of God. He is the wisdom of God, the made flesh in the Logos. He is the one that has come into the world. And as the word of God, he is the word of God. And do you want him or do you want a sideshow, a circus show and what he can do? Or do you want who he is? The true Logos, the true word of God. God in flesh, the savior of the world, the Messiah who has come to the world to bring life and life to the full. And so often... We can be in danger of seeking a sign or miracle, but not seeking the sign. And the sign is always Jesus. The sign is Jesus. Yes, miracles happen around Jesus. Yes, but you know... Miracles aren't like formulas and like this. We know that. We've been, we've had prayers answered and we've had prayers where we've had to go through great suffering and pain and challenges and we don't always understand. But what we know is, is that it's about Jesus and it's about who he is and the person that is. And John wants us to know this is who he is. Seek me, he's saying. Worship me. Look at me. Don't look at the signs. Look at me. I am the Logos. I am the word and my word goes out and my word heals and my word makes a difference because it is me that does this work. It is me that will change the world. I have come as a light in the darkness to bring light into this world. So important. I think one of the interesting things about this is that he went to him and begged him. He was desperate. I think here we notice that something interesting happens. Jesus grieves their lack of faith. He almost grieves that their faith is all about signs and wonders. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. There's a grief there. 
He's saying, I am the sign and the wonder. I am the wonder that will make a difference. I am the one. But, but all you want is signs and wonders and you'll never believe. But really, if you look at me and believe in me, your whole world changes at that point. And of course, it was fascinating and beautiful that, and authentic that about, you know, 12 days ago, after quite a mediocre chapel service in Asbury University, that a group of students all left, but then a few stayed behind to just pray. And as they went to their classes, some students felt an earning, a desire, a desire and a deep desire to go back to their chapel. Seats 3,000. And so they said to their profs, do you mind if we go back to the chapel and we pray? Sure. So they started to go back. And throughout the university, suddenly people started to get a prompting to go to the chapel and start to pray. And by 3 p.m. in the afternoon, the chapel was full of young adults just praying and worshipping God, which has gone on now for 12 14 days with thousands of people turning up. And what is fascinating is that there's no evangelist at the front preaching with white shoes. There's nothing spectacular in terms of, of wow, I mean, this is a Methodist college. And, and, it's a, and there they are, worshipping and, and glorifying God and, and, and little prayer meetings happening all over that, that auditorium. Then somebody strikes up a song and they, the young adults just start to worship God, these Gen Zs. And they start to worship God and they start to do it. And then it goes quiet again. And then somebody else starts another song and groups, attest, groups start to pray together. And people stand up and share testimonies, young people, about what Jesus is doing in their lives. Yet, at the moment, the whole world's watching what's going on. But isn't it really simple that when you feel the prompting of Jesus to go to a place of prayer, that you just need to go and pray, you need to go and worship, you need to be in that place? It's not rocket science. The Welsh revival there, I've stood at the start, outside of the church where the revival started, that won 150,000 people to Jesus, started with a group of young adults in a little uh, church hall. When they went in, they sat down and they started to pray and they started to just pray together. And over the time they prayed, suddenly the presence of God came and an awe came and it started to grow and other prayer meetings and meetings started to grow. And they started to reach out and make a difference. And suddenly the chapels became full of, of people. And, and people gave their lives to Christ. You know the stories. But it started there by, by just a group of people being earnest in prayer. And what they wanted was Jesus, not the sign. They wanted Jesus. And that is what it's about. It's about wanting Jesus but as I stood there uh, in front of the chapel where the revival started, I was reminded that the pastor of that church, he may have opened the doors, 
but he never came in and joined the prayer meeting. He always looked in through the window, but he never joined in. And the revival never touched the pastor and changed his heart. There is a massive danger for each one of us that in our own religious knowledge that we are the ones that will look through the window and see what goes on. But God doesn't ask you to look through the window. God is asking you to get on your knees before Jesus and seek him. Ask him to come. Ask him to move. And, and I, somehow watching it on YouTube and last time I looked there were 30... Three million TikTok viewings of the revival. Honestly, you don't know what TikTok is, do you? Some of you. My kids won't even let me touch TikTok. Dad, you can't go on TikTok. That's weird. Uh, But it feels weird as well. I'm sure it's like 100 million now. But the danger is through social media that we look in through the window, but we don't get on our knees. They're they're saying now so many people are arriving at Asbury, so many people are coming, that they're saying actually we're just going to just keep it to the students. And what we want to do is for you to go back and have your prayer meetings and you to seek God and you to start to do it. And 22 universities have also sprung up and prayer meetings have started to work. Have you been praying for this generation that, that, that something will happen? But it, I don't want to be looking through the window and never be touched and never there. And I think there's a danger that we can look at it rather than step into it. Uh, Luke, who's our apprentice pastor, said, is it okay after pursuit tonight? If, um, if after we worship that we just stay around and we just keep praying. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. I said, yeah. Unless you people see the signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. What's really lovely, nothing to do with this, because I looked at where Asbury came from. It was Francis Asbury, who was actually born 20 miles from where I was born. So, you know, that's me. Anyway, unless you people see a Methodist preacher that preached around the black country in the Birmingham and the Midlands and then went to Kentucky to preach. Unless you people see the signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. We don't want a sideshow. We want Jesus. We want to be a people of prayer. We want to be a people of passion. We want to be a people that are found. And never, you know, the little prayer meetings you have, they can be used by God so great. The last British revival happened in the Hebridean Islands, I think in 1957. A group were praying that the Lord would rend the heavens. And in those little islands there, in that little town, one night, in the middle of the night, there was like a, a tangible atmosphere in that Scottish village. And suddenly people started to leave their homes and make their way to the chapel where they gathered and repented. People walked through the streets 
in the 50s and fell on their face in northern Scotland and they just gave their lives to Jesus Christ. But it only happened because a group of people would gather regularly and pray for the state of their small town that the Lord would rend the heavens. He, this rich man knew where the answer was. The answer is on your knees before God saying, Lord, will you do something? Will you do something? Will you do something? He was grieved at their faith. But what Jesus actually wanted to do here was teach them that our faith needs to go higher. It needs to go farther. That we need to ask the Lord to raise our faith, to raise our belief, to believe in him. The royal officials said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Come, I need you to come right now. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. Notice that Jesus gave a negative answer and gave a positive answer. I'm not coming to Capernaum. Go, but your son will live. He wants him to come down. But you see, when you really know who the sign is and you really know who, God, who Jesus is, he is the Logos. He is the word of God. When he speaks, go, it is done. It is done. I haven't got this on the notes, but I was thinking about this and was reminded of Psalm 107, verse 20. Where it talks about them in the wilderness and it talks about them going through, through the land and, and out into the wilderness and the story of the Exodus. And then in verse 20, it says, He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. You see, that's all that Jesus needed to do was send out his word. Why? Because he's the Logos. Because he's the one. Send out the word. If you look at, at, um, at Proverbs chapter 8, you see that wisdom, wisdom goes out and wisdom speaks and wisdom declares, does not wisdom call out, does not understanding raise her voice at the highest point along the way where the paths meet and takes her stand. And jump to verse 26, before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set heavens in place. Who was there when he set the heavens in place? When the words were spoken and the word went out, Jesus was there. He is wisdom. He is logos. It is Jesus who is the word of the world that changes all things. He is the sign. He is the one that we gaze at. He is the one we pray. He is the one we honour. He is our saviour. He is our Lord. He is our King. He is the one we think about. He is the one we contemplate. He is the one that we meditate on. It is the name of Jesus that is the person of Jesus that has come to bring us life and life to the full. So when you, when he, he, he says to him, 
go. Your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Notice that the man took Jesus at his word. Maybe that's exactly where we need to get back to. It's really simple. Take Jesus at his word. Even in the darkest of times, take Jesus at his word. Even through the toughest times, friends, take Jesus at his word. And while he was still on his way, Racing along, going along. Lots of different commentaries. I've read a dozen here. Uh, think he's on a horse. Some think he's walking. Some think, say this. Some, he's, when he left at one, or did he stay around the town because Jesus said the word and then he made his way? They've put a lot of thought into this timing business. Uh, and I haven't. While, while he was still on the way, his servants met him. I am interested, though, on this idea while he was on his way. Because when God speaks something and you're on the way till you get there, that is the hardest place to be in. Isn't it? What, depending who you read, 28 miles, 18 miles or 25 miles to get from, from where they were to get to Capernaum. If you were walking it, that would be tough. Three miles an hour, in the middle of that, you might start to feel, am I crazy? This man said this. Uh, Can I believe it? Can I trust him? Can I trust his words? Can I do that? If he's racing on a horse, which he probably had a horse, can I, uh, is it good? And then all of a sudden, over the horizon, appears some servants. What are they going to say? Is it good news? Is it bad news? No, he arrives, he turns, it is the best news. Why? Because Jesus is true to his word. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news. His boy was living. I feel quite relieved just reading that. And it happened 2,000 years ago. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one... In the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. The exact time. The moment God says a word, the moment the Lord speaks, at the exact time, his in Canaan, his in Capernaum, happens instantly because Jesus is the Logos. His word went out and the heavens were created. His word went out, Psalm 107 verse 20, and the healing came to those who were in distress. The word goes out and God changes our heart. Touches us. But any of this can only truly happen in the place of prayer. In the place of intimacy. In the place of closeness. And yet the result was 
that he had to to go by faith. He had to travel by faith to get there to see what God had done. And your son will live and his whole household will believe. This is an Old Testament principle and John's gospel reflects so much of the Old Testament. And I'd love to get into it more. But didn't Moses just have the word? But then he had to follow God by faith to lead the Israelites into the promised land. Didn't Abraham had to have the word and then to follow by faith, he couldn't see what was going to happen, to actually go on the journey to see that God would do it? And isn't it true for us that God speaks to us, but then we've got to go on the journey to go back to the place to see what God is doing and the way God is, has worked? But the journey is the hardest part. Because in the journey we can doubt. In the journey we can give up. In the journey we can stop praying. In the journey we can lose our direction. But we must never lose sight of Jesus. Let's pray together. Maybe, um, before I pray, you've lost complete focus of Jesus. You're looking at the sideshow. You're looking at the signs. But you're not looking at the logos. You're not looking. You're not seeking. You've lost that intimacy and closeness to your Lord. But this morning, you know it's time. To just get back to God. It's time. Lord, I ask that for each one of us, we thank you for for what you're doing in our hearts. Lord, I am so blessed at Asbury. So blessed just to see thousands of young adults seeking and praying and worshipping. I'm blessed to hear a prayer meeting starting up all over the United States. A counterculture, a counter-revolution, a different message. And Lord, we just pray May we be enraptured by Jesus and may we rediscover our simple desire to be a prayerful, seeking, worshipping people, Lord. Listening to your voice, following your word, going in the direction that you would lead us, Lord. Hallelujah. Come, Lord. Help us, Lord to go deeper, to go that next level. May we not grieve you because of our lack of faith or the wrong place we're focusing on. But stir something in our hearts, Lord, I pray now. Make us save Canada, Lord. Start prayer meetings all over Canada, I pray. 
come and stir us into action. Lord, we, we want to be a praying church. We, we, you know we pray every month. We hold prayer meetings. We fast. We, but Lord, we just want Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us, I pray, to go deeper into you. Amen. Let's stand together. The, um, the youth pastor came to me and he said, um, will you preach at the youth uh, weekend? I'm like, no. He goes, well, I said, pray about it. I said, but really, Chris, I'm 57. Can't, you know, can't you find somebody? He goes, you need, and he texts me, are you going to preach? And Michelle said, are you going to preach? I said, probably not, no, not. I got, you know, they need to find a young preacher. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, You've got to go and preach. I'm like, why? And he said, I want you to preach on the power of the Holy Spirit and prayer. Because this is the time to encourage all young people to seek the face of God. So I texted him back three weeks ago. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'll come and preach. And Michelle said, oh, you're off this week. I said, yeah, I'm going to preach. I said, you weren't going to do that. I said, yeah, I should have communicated that to you. Sorry. Um, yeah, I'm going to go. I said, but the Lord told me why now. I said, because he's linked in my heart, Asbury, to our young people. And I need to tell them the story of revival. And I went in Saturday morning. I said, how is it all going? And the, some of the young leaders said, really good. It was really strange. I've got a group of 16. And they got up in the morning and... They just all got in a group and they started to pray and started to worship first thing in the morning. And I said, um, is that usual? Well, they, they do like to say a little prayer, but that's not usual. Can we dare to believe that across Canada and the United States that the Lord will do something? Can you dare to believe that you're going to go from outside the window and step inside? Inside the building? So, I'm going to open the altar. And if you today, as Alden has felt the Lord and the Lord whispered to me, just said, open the altar and invite people that want to go to the next level want to step into a place of new prayer to come and just come now and if you want to kneel or stand you just come no big appeal just come here and say I want this for this generation Lord let's worship